Oh my God. What is up? Look at your face. Look at your beautiful face. It's been forever. I know. Oh, look, look at this cool. Uh, look at this cool jacket you're wearing. The last I know. I wore it specifically because it was so subtle. Oh, so subtle. Okay. So we're here with Pamela Shanti Pack. First of all, let me introduce you to the world. World. Pamela Shanti Pack. Pamela Shanti Pack. The world. Now, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you, the listener, about why this person matters, why she's incredible. She is the, well, how, how does one put it? The, the household name and off with climbing. Off with climbing is, we're going to go into what that is, but it's a very, yes, please, it's a very brutal, that. it's a brutal genre of climbing, but she's, this, this woman is amazing. She is strong. She's fierce. She's a poster woman for it. Poster girl, poster woman. And I'm talking like calendars, guidebook covers, magazine covers, the real McCoy, the real deal. And she has decided to waste at least an hour of her time today talking to us. Yeah, if I'm going to waste my time, I want to waste my time with you, Jason. Oh, oh, oh that's how I look at my life. <laughs> I promise I wouldn't cry during this interview. I promise I wouldn't cry. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, John, you have a few questions for uh Namely, because you're not a rock climber. I am not a rock climber. I've seen rocks. Oh, by the way, this is oh, John, this is my illustrious co-host, John. We run this. Hey, podcast. John. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> podcast meet you. So, yeah, you, you don't climb rocks and you had some questions. You're, you're like sort of like a, a doe yeah. in the headlights here. So what is off with climbing? Uh, so Break it, it down, Pam. It, off with is um, any size uh, crack that is too big for your hand. So you're getting to an off size. So it's when you have to start stacking like a butterfly stack, hand fist stack. So it's when you start stacking body parts. And there's some debate as to whether chimneys are considered off with. Ah. I still call them off with. I debate call within the climbing community. Yes. Oh, it is a very contentious community. community, Let me tell you. It is a contentious (laughs) community and there is much controversy, but I include chimneys in my repertoire. Chimneys in the repertoire. Wide cracks. Okay. So what is is a chimney real quick? So a chimney would be anything that's big enough that you can wedge your entire body inside. So you're no longer stacking hands and fists or stacking body parts. You're wedging your whole body inside. So your back will be on one wall and your feet on the other or your knees on one wall and your back to the other. Basically, you're wedging your whole body into a tunnel. Now, caving, this being a a contentious community that it is, it's a sensitive community, I'll say. What is the controversy? It is. Climbers are babies. I'm going to say it right now. All (laughs) fucking climbers are fucking babies, man. Uh, They are. They are. Jason's my baby. Oh, baby. (laughs) Save it for out the air. Save it for out the air. No, but but what I mean to say is what is the controversy around like, oh, wait, do people get up in arms? That's not off with. That's a chimney or that's not a chimney. That's an off with. And then there's all this debate and fucking rigmarole and mountain project. It's ridiculous. What, yeah, so what is I the- don't I don't know. I, I figured that maybe people are really bored and, and looking mm-hmm. for something to keep them entertained because, you know, when it comes right down to it, it's a big crack and a rock. So, you know, <laughs> you're climbing, you're climbing, you're climbing. We're not, there's no controversy. You're, 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 you're going. Yeah, there's, up. there's no political debate here. You I know, know this that. is not a mask. <laughs> This is not a mask yeah, to not, politicize off with versus it, chimney, right? Yeah, it's not going to change the you know, worldwide. It's just politics. about a tweet. It's just about a 
bunch of tweets with twatters and it is exactly you know? <laughs> it's exactly yeah i mean so, let me some of these guys i picture them going out there with the fucking tape measure and like well, i don't know nine inches it, all right <laughs> i think you might have just actually kind of nailed it there <laughs> pamela said it was an off they're, they're only, actually a squeeze chimney they're actually they're lying about the nine inches <laughs> oh my god oh, oh sorry oh, oh, oh. so I, uh, I want to talk about it's one of my favorite stories, how yeah. we met. Oh, how that is it... a beautiful story. Tell it. <laughs> beautiful story. All right. I want you to tell me what you remember and I'll tell you how I remember it. No, I want to tell I want you to tell me how you remember. OK, all right. All right. I... No, you go no, first. This is great. So I love this is such an opportunity for our listeners to hear the difference between a Jason Hackney epic <laughs> and then. <laughs> Jason, the more down to earth. Jason, you start and I will okay. I will go. So no. there I was, strapped to the side of El Capitan, surrounded yeah. by controversial whiny baby crying. Yes, just saying that's not off <laughs> And I'm like, who will save me? And suddenly there she was climbing towards me. No, this has humbler origins, but it has realer origins. It has true origins. So there I was at a Mexican restaurant in Moab. Let's set the that's stage. That's the truth. It was Fiesta Mexicana, Fiesta Mexicana, Mexican party. And it's this great. They got all these ornately carved wooden booths and traditional Mexican decor. And it's this huge bustling place. And now this is years ago. Yeah, is that crazy? This is at least six, seven years ago, at least, I'd say. I'd have to go into my, my, my yeah. Instagram photos to prove it. But, but Jordan, Jay Sexy idolizes oh, woman Jordan. right in front of me. Uh, you know, this is like six, seven years ago. She's like, Oh my God, have you followed this girl in Pamela Shanti pack? She's amazing. She, she climbs hard off with, she's like the best off of climber in the world. She kicks ass. She's strong. She's empowered. Look at this. Look at her videos. Look at her clips. I'm like, Holy shit. So we, we knew who she was. We were fans. We, we followed her stuff and you can't miss her in, in magazines and, and guidebooks, calendars. I'm like, like I'm saying she's everywhere. And back then, maybe you don't know this detail. Um, I built a climbing inspiration wall in our, in the, in the door of our gear room. And, but, but it was women only. It was like really, what? <laughs> no, but that, hold on. This is, this, you know, yeah. Playboy centerfolds. No, it's not what I'm saying. No, it was, I, yeah, I built, I built it for Jordan. So it was only women just oh for Jordan, God, just, just for me and no one else. And I took no inspiration from anything else. No, I, no, really. That's I, so I, 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 I I wanted to get her stoked on climbing. Like, look, you're a powerful woman. These are powerful women to you know, put up role models and female yeah. examples of strong climbing. So every year we would get women of rock uh, climbing calendars oh. every year. And at the end of each year, we get a scissors and we cut out our favorite photos from that year. And, and I built this whole collage on the wall and you were one of them That's from, so cute. from a women of rock, <laughs> like where you're inverting, which means she's upside down. She's literally, you know, her feet are over her head in a crack inverting. It's called a levitation technique yeah. and, you know, like a classic Creek climb. And it's just so cool. You look so serene. And so you're like front and center in this climbing thing anyway. So I would know her hide in a tanning yard by the time there I am in Moab in a restaurant. <laughs> I look over. I'm just with a buddy. We're climbing. I look over and I see her. <laughs> the aisle across from me, like, like, like a kitty corner booth away. And I'm like, holy shit. I murmured to my friend out of the corner of my mouth. I think that's Pamela Shanti Pack. He's like, what? I'm like, I think that's Pamela Shanti Pack. 
don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. I think that's her. And he like coyly looks. He's like, I think it could be. I'm like, no, no. And I'm like staring at you, but trying not to look like I'm staring at you. I'm like, no, no, that's her. I know it's her. I'm like, holy shit. I, it's like seeing a celebrity, right? It's like, oh my God, there's my favorite movie star. Do I go talk to them? What do I say? What do I do? Do I ask them how their are? I don't know. And, and so, Did you get the red sauce or the green sauce? And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident. Uh, we're going to put, put a pause in it. First of all, Pam, I want you to see my puppy. I was going to say, I'm dying to ask. Oh. His name is Perth. He's an Australian cattle dog. He's the apple oh my of my gosh. eye. And he's the, he's the, here's the, he's the piercing on my juggler vein. Oh. He's so cute. Yes, he is four oh months old. He's four months old. And he's, oh, been, he's a baby. I love baby. him. And he's been much anticipating this uh, interview. He's got eye spots. Big Will you bring him there. down to Moab? <laughs> yeah, and his ears are pointing, and he's going to be our little desert tough guy. We're actually, he's, he's going to be my so little. Cute. He's so cute. He's going to be my Mad Max dog. We're going to actually take him to the creek soon. We're going to take him to the swell oh, soon. Oh, yay. He'll just, he'll just ride bitch. He'll just sit in the middle, and I'm in my like, regular <laughs> cab Tacoma, and he's a Velcro dog anyway, so, and he'll just be our tough little rugged cracking oh, dog. Oh, Jason, I love him. I know. People oh. scream. Everywhere we go. Anyway, back to the moment of truth. So, I keep moving this little thing around. I'm like, like, oh my where? God, that's her. And I'm like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm thinking there's two ways to play this. Either I wait for them to finish their meal. So they're, we're, we're either going to finish our meal before them or they're going to finish their meal before us. If she finishes her meal before us and, and, and she gets up, I will get up and go over and like <laughs> stop her from leaving and say and introduce myself. But if we finish first, I'll go up to them. So we finished first. So See, I, I did just, not know this part of the story. I yes. didn't know there was like a big background. Yeah, well, because it's like there's always a backstory. There's a backstory. Because you know, it's someone you admire. It's like a role model. And 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 they're eating dinner. What are you talking about? This is your story when you go to the grocery oh, store. Oh, get out of here. There's a story everywhere, but there's a backstory to me going to the grocery store. But you know, you're eating, <laughs> you're eating dinner, right? And so, like, how do you interrupt someone? You don't want to. You don't want to be that guy that's like, I'm such a fan. Wow. <laughs> I've got you on my wall. Yeah. In a non-creepy way. <laughs> in, a, in a non making uh, earwax sculptures out of you replica way. Yeah. Just some creepy ass shit. No, nothing creepy. And yeah. here's how I did it. Bold, bold as day. Walked up to her booth. And I said, hey, excuse something. Like, hey, excuse so where me. are you from? Originally? Hey, hate to bother you. <laughs> Uh, but are you Pamela Shanti back? I asked her. And she smiles. She says, well, yes, I am. Are you a creditor? <laughs> and I say, you've been served. And I walked away. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, I told, I, I'm like, oh my God, here's how, here, this is my, this is my in. I said, my wife is obsessed with you. <laughs> and you start laughing. You said, oh my God, you're so sweet. And you, she was so friendly and so warm and open and, and giving. She said, will you join us? She says, take a seat. <laughs> Dude, that was your first mistake, right? <laughs> you told me to sit down. Well, she thought you might buy her a margarita. Yeah. <laughs> Here <laughs> I am years later. He she told me sit down. drinks. <laughs> yeah. It's probably, she probably gave me some chips or something. That was your second mistake. You fed the wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Never fed the, feed the wildlife. Yeah. They got, they got to live independently. He's like, that was really good that you said, um, my wife is like obsessed with you because like, 
you don't come off as a creeper, like just like another guy who's like, <laughs> oh, my God, oh, my God. But that really was the truth. That really was the truth. Jordan was always Pamela, this Pamela, that look at this video, sending me stuff on Instagram, like into you. So she said she had me sit down and we became fast friends. We started talking. We're laughing. We're riffing. Got her number. And since then, we've climbed with her. But well, was yeah. the food good? Well, who can remember the food? It's the night I met Pamela. Yeah, anyway, I remember that. I know the margaritas were amazing. There we so, go. Yeah. There we yeah. go. In a nutshell, that's it. But what do you remember of that night? What do you remember? I mean, you were, you were actually, what, 10 margaritas deep at that point. So I was like pretty deep into the margaritas at that point. But I remember all of that, except for the part where you were like sitting at your table trying to like decide to come up. That part I was completely unaware. Well, yeah, that was. That was me conspiring. Would you guys that with me? Yeah, I, I loved you guys immediately. So that yeah, is actually, he's telling the real truth. That's the real story. Yeah, I, I, I conspired in a Shakespearean way. That's what happened. That's Talk what actually her. happened. And like, nice. I just remember when I met you, Jason, you were so unbelievably funny. I mean, you guys know how funny Jason is. I was like, yeah. this guy's hilarious. <laughs> I, was, I, I didn't was, even know how funny you were. Like you know, <laughs> years later, I realized how actually funny you were. But you're still that, realizing. Like, you're still realizing moment to moment. I, I'm still it waiting is. for it. I have Good idea. You'll notice one of these days he'll say something pretty funny. I'll yeah. be like, oh, one day. One day. Oh, God. Yeah, I was so, I mean, that's one of the nice things about like having people come over and approach me and say hi, as long as they're, you know, occasionally I'll hear something really weird, but it's really nice when people come say hi. <laughs> what, I, I got, what's, what's <laughs> the weirdest, weirdest thing you've ever heard? I'm not telling. Oh, <laughs> like, right. oh man. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, like usually, we, I mean, people come up and approach me and I've made some lifelong friends, which has been really, really cool. Yeah, you never I mean, know. Sometimes apparently I don't come across very well because there was like this recent thing where somebody was like, Yeah, I met her in the parking lot and she was really creepy. And I'm like, ooh, I haven't heard that. I <laughs> the new I one. I met her in the parking lot. She was really creepy, even though I went up to her. <laughs> they came up to me and they're like she's creepy i'm like cool what did i do because i'm gonna i want to try to do that again you didn't mug them did you you, you didn't like lift the i don't wall usually mug people uh, you know one one out of every she, 10 she just straight up <laughs> she just straight up asked for cash well if you want a selfie that'll be 20 bucks i did i was <laughs> like i asked for like 50 dollars, and maybe that thought that was weird but that was a pretty good deal <laughs> you you don't ask <laughs> you, you, you do it in such a way where they just have to they feel compelled to give it to you <laughs> Yeah. No, that that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the parking lot scenario is again. It's hard to know how to approach someone. How do you approach someone? The, the parking lot scenario is weird because I don't think people realize I have really bad ADHD. So I'm like packing my gear. I'm in super crack parking lot. I'm like, okay, I need my shoes. I need my tape. I need my tape gloves. I need some cams. And then somebody will come over and go, "Hey, are you Pamela Shotty back?" And I'll be like, oh, damn, I completely forgot everything I put in my <laughs> backpack. I am. I've got to start over. I am. I, yeah. And then I get to the base of a route and I'm like, oh, my God, I made this a great new friend, but I forgot my shoes, my harness and my grigri. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, and then what am I doing here? Am I climbing? Oh, yeah, I'm going to climb this thing. OK, well, so I'll just sometimes people don't realize it's just like the complete confusion. And I'm nervous. Like when people introduce themselves, I don't think they realize I'm actually kind of nervous, too, because it, it's sort of nerve wracking i'm kind of shy so they'll come over and i'm like so excited to meet people but then i'm kind of shy right and then like well, sometimes it's then i forget everything i'm doing and i you know maybe i come across as creepy <laughs> I well, well and i gotta wonder too i mean 
I, I don't think I've ever talked to a celebrity about this. So I would wonder, I mean, what is it like for someone to come up to you basically knowing a lot about you and you knowing nothing about them? Nice. Yeah, usually, like I said, I love meeting people. But I think the strangest is sometimes will people will come over and they'll just go, hey, Pamela. And I won't recognize them. And I'll be like, is this somebody I know? Like, do I not know this person? And then we'll talk for a bit. And then they'll say, oh, you don't know me. And I'm like, oh, my God, because that was sort of like. (laughs) Thanks, really. (laughs) It's unfair in a way. They have that. Yeah, I'm like, wow. I was like, oh, this may be somebody I met. And I don't remember them, but I feel horrible. But then they'll tell me a little bit later. Everyone has a jump on you because you're this figure, right? You're this figure. And and, uh, yeah, like you said, Johnny, like like, like right, right away. They, they they have an insight into your life and you don't know them from Adam. That's Yeah, and they have like a preconceived notion that maybe I'm like really right. standoffish or, you know, maybe they caught me on a day that I'm just like have the flu and I'm still climbing and they're just yeah. like, so pretty friendly. But usually I try to, you know, I, I'm really excited to meet people. And like I said, meeting you, I've made like some of my like lifelong friends randomly yeah. in, in a bar in Moab or in secret sure. crack parking lot when someone came over and they're like, okay, I hope this isn't weird, but, <laughs> but oh my God. Yeah. Such a, yeah it, 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 I can see how it could be tough to be shy then, or like have an off day or so always like, have to feel like really you have to be shy. on. But you know? I'm the same way. I mean, there's super, super like climbers that I'll see. Like I remember, you know, there's certain climbers that I'm like, oh my God, I want to go say hi, but I'm so nervous. I'm not going to do it. Like, you oh, do that. So cool. You have, you like fangirl. Oh, I totally no way. Yeah, there's oh my god, there's Peter Croft. What do I do? What do I say? Or something like that. Yeah, there's certain ones I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't dare say hi. Who who do you look up to? Any anyone in particular? Who you got? Oh, like, well, recently, I mean, there are a lot of climbers I look up to, but just the other day, you guys might have especially when they're climbing. (laughs) Yeah, what who'd you see? Sean Villanova put up an incredible new route in Patagonia, this stunning off with. And I was like totally fangirling. I'm like, oh my God, Sean Villanova. And I sent him a note and I was like, wow, that route looks absolutely extraordinary. And he wrote back and I'm like, he wrote back. He wrote back. (laughs) You go up to him. Okay, I never do this. Like Tom Cruise going up to George Clooney or something. Oh my God, George, I never do this, but I'm a huge fan. Yeah, like I never do this, but you know, you put up a route that's off with, I put up a route that's off with. Wonder if celebrities like that with each other, like, oh my God. You want an Oscar? I want an Oscar. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Sean Sean Penn's all nervous to like approach Denzel Washington or some shit. Like, wouldn't that be funny? I'm sure they are because, you know, it's like behind the scenes, climbers, celebrities are all just regular people. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure, you know, we all feel the same way. And, and I'm, you know, not just climbers, there's people who, you know, computer scientists, other scientists when, you know, because I I work in Alaska and I'll be like that, that guy's the best hydrographer in the world. I'm so intimidated. So yeah, they're just, you know, it's obvious. We're going to, yeah, I want to get into that. Oh yeah. We're going to get to uh, what she does. It's pretty wild, Yeah, it's uh, really but I want to tell you something really quick. You've changed my life and more than just inspiring me to climb hard things and challenging myself on rock faces. You changed my life. The first time we actually climbed together. So we met in Moab at the Mexican restaurant. But the first time we ever climbed together, we met you in Vitavu, which is in Wyoming, outside of Laramie. And it's just off with Mecca. So we roll up. And this is years ago, before our truck camping was really dialed down. You might not know this. 
the influence you've had, the immeasurable influence you've had. So we roll up and we're truck camping with the aesthetic of backpackers. Everything's super light. We have a jet boil stove and we have a mountain house dehydrated food and the zippered pouches. And we're going all super light as if we need to be Isn't light. Like that we're when you're first truck camping and you're like super light and then yes. as the years go by, you're like, why am I doing this? I don't need to. <laughs> and, and the next morning we, we camp with Pam and gang. It's like a whole, it's, you know, Pam always has a motley crew around her. It's always a, a gang of gypsies. It's always oh. a good time. It's always a party. Um, and, 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 and the next morning, just push them on. And, and, and the next morning, we wake up and there's like an encampment. Everyone busts out tables and Coleman gas range stoves and skillets and bacon yeah. and cutting boards. And we're like looking around like, what the hell is this? And we're like <laughs> boiling water on a jet boil and making a mountain house meal. Like, oh, isn't this great? This ramen that I brought. Pamela has like a, 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 a you know, a, a, a potato skillet with an omelet and like full course totally. meal. Like, omelets coffee makers espresso everything makers, like. and ever since then you inspire us like we got to get legit and we've legitimized more and more to like get to your level over the years to where it's like you live out of your truck it's funny like I developed that more and more and I've had in Vitavu similar stories like this one, this absolutely one of my best friends, an, another a girl I met in Vitavu, Sierra Farquhar and Sierra was like adorable. She had never camped before and I was camping with her what? and she took me aside. She was camping with a bunch of guys and she's had this gorgeous long dark hair and she's like, Pamela, I don't know how to ask you this. And I was like, what is it, Sierra? I thought it would be a climbing thing or something. She's like, how do you wash your hair outside? <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> how does your hair always look so on point and on fleek? How does your hair look so on point? I'm like, okay, so this is what we do. The tailgate of the Tacoma. We set it all up. I'm like, this is how you wash your hair outside. What do you do? What's your trick? It's It was like, you know, basic hair washing, like blue water jug, like how to time it. Like like solar things to heat the water. <laughs> what kind of shampoo? Extra conditioner. Secret. What product do you use? To stick off see, this yeah. is where I see you doing like a Head and Shoulders or Herbal Essence commercial. <laughs> I, always, or something. I wish I could have um, done like yeah a hair modeling thing, but because like, I'm worth it. Climb, yeah, exactly. But if you climb squeeze chimneys, any girl who climbs squeeze chimneys will attest to you like pull out big chunks of your hair, and that kind of ends any hair modeling career you would ever have had. You, you got some war wounds. You got some red badges of courage. Yeah. Like, like you got like this, the, the, the scored scapula scars over your shoulder blade. I do. And, you know, I think people don't realize that like the first couple years of off with you're like, this is so cool. I have the hugest gouge in my shoulder and it heals up. And you're like, Oh, two years. You're like, that's cool. Three years. I've been climbing off with for 10 and now I have like literally massive scars in the back of my shoulder. Takes its tall. It's a hard. Sport. I used to think it was cool, and after ten years, I'm like, I need like a skin graft. These are gross. <laughs> like, You're a warrior. These badges of honor don't. Totally, I want to wear cute problem. dresses, and I'm like, oh, I have horrible <laughs> scars on my elbows, horrible scars on my shoulders, and people will walk up to me in a non-climbing. Are you okay? Group and be like, wow, are you okay? Are you in like? I have been asked. One guy was like, were you in like a motorcycle accident? <sighs> I'm like, you no, know, you can get help, Pam. People, people want to help you. Yeah, they do. They're like, can I help you? <laughs> here's a here's a hotline. 
Oh my God. And then recently the other thing, you know, there are all these things you don't think about. Like when people are like, don't bite down on gear when you're climbing, yeah. especially, you know, off with climbing cams are big. And I have gotten black eyes from the Valley giants, but I did knock out a few teeth. And recently I was home in Montana and I was like, cool, I need to get this filling replaced. And they're like, wow, no, you got to have this whole tooth. No. $2,500 later, I was no. like, you know, I kind of do wish it, I had listened when people said, don't put the gear in your mouth. No way. Did you, did, that actually happened on route? Like you're not, I fell, it, it was not a big piece of gear. I fell with a stopper in my mouth and like you clamp down when you fall. <laughs> you stopped yourself by your teeth. I stopped myself by my teeth and like, I literally, you know, and, and when I did it, I heard it crack and part of my tooth fell out and my oh, partner God. was like, what was that? That just came out. I was like, that was my tooth. And then, you know, time went by, I ignored it. I'm like, I don't need to chew on the right side. And after a few years, like, <laughs> it was like, oh. I don't need to chew on that. It would be really nice if I could chew you're on that right side again. That would practical. be amazing. Yeah. You're practical. So you, you know, you don't want to take time off. You don't want to take I'm like, time I'm going to be a grown up and go to the dentist. Oh, and dentists are scary. They were dentists like, are scary. So are you, <laughs> are you what people would call a professional climber? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. What does that so. what does that mean to be a professional climber? I mean, people it's, see that's athletes. A, that's a really good question because that's really changed. For one, there's a it's changed over the years because I've been uh, you know a sponsored or professional athlete for a long time now since um, maybe I guess about 2010. So I've been in the industry a very long time, and a professional athlete has changed dramatically. So back in 2010, what it meant pre-Instagram was being a professional athlete. We just went out and climbed. I I wrote articles uh, for magazines. I climbed. um, I established first ascents. uh, I made short films. And and that was really the extent of my obligations was to get out and climb and to climb a lot and to write a lot. And uh, in 2015, with the advent of Instagram, social media became a a bigger priority in um, professional climbing because that's, and and all professional sports, because that's where marketing occurs now. And uh, so now there's the requirements or obligations are much different. Of course, obviously I still climb and love to climb, but there's uh, more emphasis on photography, um, more emph- emphasis on, on posting regularly on social right. media. Um, so there's a, a much, a much heavier emphasis on social media. And sometimes I feel like there's more emphasis on that than actually on reality. It's, it's kind of shifted from like the real world into the virtual world. Mm, and right. of course there are pluses and minuses. It's wonderful that we can reach a bigger audience now and we can get out there more. I think that for professional athletes or sponsored athletes, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not speaking for all of us, but from my experience, it's challenging because um, we're, because we sort of are part of that shift. Uh, most of us didn't grow up with social media, so we're just not as good at it. We didn't develop online presence, at, you know, at a very young age. From age seven. Yeah. Exactly. From age We're 90s seven. kids. We're 90s we're, kids. Exactly. We're like 90s kids. So we don't, we didn't have that online presence and we didn't really grow up um, with that skill set. And it's a, right. it's a real skill set. I mean, um, 
one of my absolute best partners, Giselle. Giselle and I spent all day yesterday running around outside with our iPhones, trying to copy things we'd seen online where you like walk up to something, flip your phone upside down, flip it right side up and make these cool videos. And those <laughs> are things that like, if you're like 20, you're like, oh, I've been doing that since I was two. Like, I can't right. believe you don't know how to do that. <laughs> you're just like catching up to the, you're just buying like, a curveball. Wow. Hey, you guys, like, there's often times where I'm like, I need to hire somebody who's 15 to help me with this. You know, <laughs> oh, this is the selfie button. That reverses totally, I'm like, the camera. Exactly. Oh. How do you turn this around to get a selfie going the opposite <laughs> direction? I don't get it. So there's like a, um, a shift that we're not, we started as professional athletes without the social media. And then we're in the, we were in the middle of it. Like it was the middle of my career. And then now there's a transition to where that's a very heavy emphasis. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. So being a professional climber, what it used to be versus what it is now is different because now we, we build up uh, these social media images and, uh, and, and for me, it's, it's perplexing because again, I, you know, I lived a majority of my life pre, uh, social media. So, um, I don't have, I, I didn't collect photos. I didn't document my daily life. And, uh, I think it's a really cool thing to do, but going from living most of your life without daily documentation, I think for me, I'm a little bit more uncomfortable with yeah. the public persona and, uh, a little more uncomfortable with how much to um, express to people in my social media. And hey, no matter what you do, you'll never meet everyone's expectations. I mean, a lot of people will say, wow, I wish you were more vulnerable in your social media. Hmm. I wish you would express more about how you're feeling and vulnerability. Wow. Yeah. And your vulnerabilities, which is not comfortable for me. And yeah, then to the I, masses, to a whole bunch of strangers, right? It does. It's uncomfortable for me. And then if I say uh, I don't express that or then say I do express it, then people will write to me and say, wow, I, you know, you're, what are you, you're claiming? You just want attention. You just oh, want to bad win. for you. So I, I try to balance it out. And, you know, ultimately um, it does give you the opportunity um, to reinvent yourself and to be creative and, uh, to learn a lot about yourself because I'm trying to see it more, especially this year as a journal. And I, I do want to share hmm. the ups and downs of being a professional climber more than I have. I've, I've always wanted to present just the positives. Like this is amazing. This is an incredible life. And I'm sure. so lucky to have this opportunity. Um, but I do want to start integrating more that there are a lot of downs. I mean, as a professional athlete, for instance, People always think you'll perform your best. And I have a great story about that. There was another very famous climber, John Varco. He was uh, one of our partners for a long time. And that was pre-social media. And he's like, Pamela, I was in Vitavu one day. He was very famous. And he's like, I'm on this 5'7", and I'm flailing on it because it's Vitavu, and nobody can climb 5'7 in Vitavu. <laughs> and this guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, are you John Varco? And I'm like... And he's like, yeah, I am. And the guy's like, dude, I thought you'd be a lot stronger. No. <laughs> I was like, wow. And that kind of happens. Like if you go to the crag, like a normal person and you're like, oh, I'm having a really bad day. Oh, like your cat but... died or something. And 
you're trying to climb and you're on a 5A and you're kind of crying. And, and they expect waiting. you to have like unworldly ability. They do. They expect you to have that's unworldly pressure. ability. That's pressure. And, and that's, that's pressure. I mean, because we all have bad days and yeah. we all have amazing days. I mean, we have days where, and, and different athletes perform so differently. For me, I have a lot of days where I perform well and then selective where I really can dial it in and, and focus. And and, and again, we also, um, I think, as far as all climbers and professional climbers, um, I, again, have a really difficult, a difficult time concentrating. So if there are 10 or 15 or 20 people at the crag, I'm hearing everything. I'm hearing oh. dogs barking. I'm hearing people talking. And when I climb, I can't really uh, focus on what moment. I'm doing. Oh, man. Sometimes I can, but not very often. So, you know, people will say, oh, could you demonstrate how to do this? Uh, and and often I am excited to do it, but other days I'm just like, wow, you know, it's it's really hard when there's a lot of people around because I am kind of shy. And hmm. and my other work, which I'll describe to you, I am kind of uh, have always been um, very introspective and a, a kind of a loner my entire life. And so again, the the social media can be very awkward and uncomfortable for me um, because I, I do have a hard time sharing personal aspects of my life. Um, even severe injuries, that's the most personal yeah. I've been able to sure. be on social media say, Hey, you know, I had a really severe injury and this is what it was like to come back from it. And, um, but you know, things like, Oh, I just broke up with my boyfriend. I don't, I don't want not, to, that's off topic. Speaking to your life, you know, uh, cause, cause I, I, I want to go into the beginnings because you're so much more than just a climber. Uh, you know, you, you say, that you're new to, you know, you're kind of baffled by this generation's newer technology because we're nineties kids, right? Yeah, you grew exactly. up in a beautiful mythical yeah. lost world called the nineties. Exactly. It was we all miss it. Lost world of flannel and like yes, you know, grunge and grunge and like say whatever you want, John. Say yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> And it's fine. She's been giving me a lot of crap about that lately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a mythical well, lost time. Where, where are you? Oh, God. It's like, like read fairy tale books to your kids. And then in 1993, Nirvana made their second album. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> where, where are you from? Well, where did you grow up? Well, I um, grew up predominantly in Montana. Um, in northern Montana, my family lives in very far northern Montana. It's almost near the Canadian border, Beautiful. and the town is tiny. Um, so, you know, I grew up in a, in a very small town in a very remote part of the country, and uh, I I was incapacitated by cities. Like, literally, could not. You know, it was really un I was really painfully shy as a kid. Like, Aww. really bad. Even when I was really little, apparently at recess, I wouldn't play with the other kids. My in my recess, my teacher would take me out and hold my hand the whole time. I was like really <laughs> quiet. You were, and you I wasn't were, you were gun shy. Yeah, I was. So yeah, I, I grew up in a really remote part of Montana, um, pretty radically different lifestyle than I lead now. And um, you know, it's amazing. It's cold <laughs> it's really cold it's cold <laughs> i went back home for christmas and the forecast it was like 60 below zero i'm like come on 60 below zero like, that lovely so, weather where you can't leave any exposed skin yeah you really uh, can't you know so that was it's it was a pretty different lifestyle were you athletic as a kid 
I was, I was a gymnast and I was very uh-huh. obsessed and I trained um, with a national team. Actually, um, I went to Pennsylvania and, and trained with a team in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And, uh, at what age? I, I was really little. I started doing gymnastics, you know, as a little tiny kid. And then well, you don't I, want to be a has-been by age seven. So you guys, ex- that's the thing in gymnastics. Now you are, you're like eight, it's all over. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, when I was, My back can't uh, take it anymore. Tire. Getting old. I feel like the pressure is too much. And <laughs> as a little kid, I was the same way as I am now as a climber. I was really, really obsessed. I trained, I wanted to be the best. And um, I overtrained. I go way back, you know, past my physical capacity. So I ended up having to quit climbing at 15 because I had a very severe injury. Uh, quit quit um, gymnastics or climbing? You mean? Yeah, gym- gymnastics. Quit gymnastics. I had to yeah. stop doing gymnastics entirely because I had a very severe back injury. Oh no! And at that time, they didn't really know. You know, it's it's interesting because they said you have two options. You can continue climbing with a full back brace and you'll never perform at the level you were, or you can quit climbing entirely. And you mean, you mean, you mean gymnastics? Yes. Freudian slips. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, see, Freudian slips. We'll get to climbing, Pam. Don't worry. We'll get to climbing. That was like my parallel with climbing. The exact same thing did happen to me with climbing. So, yeah. So as a kid, I'm 15. And it's interesting how your mentality changes because at 15, they gave me that choice. You can continue. You will never perform at the level you did before. And my decision was, if I can't be the best in the world, I'm not doing it. it. You know, if I can't compete at the level I want, I'm not going to compete anymore. And I quit. You hung up your leotard. I did. I hung up my leotard. I was like, that's it. I'm not doing gymnastics. And at that point, you know, as a 15 year old, you're like, what do I do? It's your whole life. Your whole identity identity crisis. Yeah. So I'm like, what do I do now? And I, I started, um, I became an artist. I started painting and and drawing. And um, I later went to um, college uh, on an art scholarship. Now this is crazy. Was it Stanford or where did you go? It was Yale. Yale, right. That's what I meant. You know, How so, dare you? Oh, my I God. I know. I know. So so not I'm the right coast. I am not, as you can tell, just by looking at me, Ivy <laughs> League, right? Uh, you know, was I, I was like this kid, like th- you did th- gymnastics, this you know, woman. and then it was just my dream. And the reason I wanted to go to Yale is I didn't know anything really about education. I wanted to be on the Yale College gymnastics team. So my thought was, you know, when that, when my surgeon was like, that's it, you're done. I was like, I'll never get into college now. Like, what do I do? I'm a gymnast. I have nothing else going for me. I literally can do nothing else. And so, you know, that was tough. I, but I was, I threw myself into painting and into sculpting and, um, I uh, really focused on my education. I couldn't really do any competitive sports at that point anymore because of this injury. And I kind of, you know, gave up on that and found something else I was really incredibly passionate about. Art. Um, coming back to climbing, you know, and it's a long story, but I faced a very similar circumstance. We, we have the time. We have the time. Yeah. So yeah, years ago, you know, as a climber, I think, Climbing is so, um, as you all know, if you're a climber, you get so wrapped up into it and your whole identity often becomes based on climbing. And as a sponsored athlete or a professional athlete, 
um, your identity gets really wrapped up in, Mm -hmm. in your sport. Like if say, if people say, who are you before you even say your name, you're like, I'm a climber. climber. First and foremost. Yeah. It becomes the most important part of your identity for many of us. And as a climber, you have to accept, or any athlete, um, you have to accept the fact that one day you might, you know, have a fall where you injure yourself and you never climb again, but you don't think it's ever going to happen to you. <laughs> like, right, it's impossible. Me. But, you know, I was climbing, I'd been climbing for years. I'd had some injuries and I took a fall and something weird happened on the fall and I got a really bad twist and um, it caused a, a really severe back injury. And at that, it wasn't that long ago, a couple, six years ago, five, six years ago. And um, I was in really serious denial. I went back to my apartment and, and lay down on the floor and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And I spent seven days saying to myself, I'm fine. I couldn't really stand up to even get to the bathroom, but I was like, it's not that bad. I'm okay. And calling my PT and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she's like, well, you have a couple choices. You can, um, I was like, I have one more climb I need to finish. She's uh, like, you can keep climbing and then yet. you'll never climb again. She's like, you'll, you can climb until you literally can't climb anymore. And maybe you won't be able to walk. She's like, or you can come back here now. Um, we can see what we can do and maybe we can get you climbing again. Um, so I did go home and, uh, I mean, I, I literally couldn't, couldn't walk at that point. Um, and it was a very severe back injury. It's complicated. I ruptured a few discs in my back, which oh, is common. Um, but I also tore what's called the transverse abdominis. It's oh. basically like having a back brace. Oh. And I tore that as well as another thing called the psoas. So my oh. recovery was um, a year. It was a year long recovery and I couldn't God. stand up for three months. So I was facing, I mean, you know, that's like all a whole nother story, but I was facing that same experience as a 15 year old kid where I was like, I may never perform at the level I did before. And, you know, how do I feel about that? Um, it got to a point that the injury was just so severe that there was one day after three months that I was able to walk for 10 minutes and um, given it was the farthest I'd walked in three months and I had to call my brother to come get me because I oh, couldn't make it home. Pamela. But I was so thankful. And I was like, if I can actually just walk for 30 minutes without being in pain, that's, you know, all a I win. want. In my life. That's a win. God, what a simple request. What a and simple I was like, hope. if I could just do that. And it was interesting because looking back now, um, you know, you, I started falling back into that same pattern where I'm like, I can't do this 13. I'm a failure. And then I just try to remind myself that there was a time five years ago where I was like, I made it to the mailbox and I lay down on the ground and cried. (laughs) I was so happy. I was like, (laughs) Uh, little victories, little victories. So yeah, you know, I have to keep reminding myself of that. There, there are a lot of things in life that are that just like these tiny details in your life that to be very thankful for those. And oh, just it, you know, your, your, your number could be punched any second, right? Yeah. You gotta, so you, you gotta know, live all the way to the hilt. You gotta live it, it all the way. It's a scary up. thing as, as an athlete. Uh, I mean, I keep saying to myself, Oh no, I'm fine. But like I, that could happen. I could have an accident that would keep me from climbing ever again, instantaneously. So um, you know, that's just something you have to keep in mind. It's, it's good to live presently. I like, I like yeah, your presence with that. I just try to be, I'm a lot more cautious than I used to be. I, you know, back after that accident, I, my mentality changed quite a bit as to 
what I feel I'm, what I'm willing to risk and what yeah. I'm not. Sure. What's worth like, it? I don't want to be in that situation again. And you know, I think people don't understand. They're like, yeah, but if I have that kind of injury, whatever, I'll come back from it. It's cool. But you don't consider at the time how it affects those around you. I mm. had to um, move in with my parents and my brother had to quit his job um, oh to take care of me because I, I didn't have anyone to take care of me. And you again, you couldn't even go to that, ma- that mailbox or that bathroom. Yeah, I couldn't walk. I couldn't get myself to PT. I couldn't get <sighs> myself to my surgeon. So um, when you have it, the risks that we take affect the people around us much more significantly right. than we think about. That's a good I, point. You know, so um, I, I was very fortunate. I had an incredible team of uh, surgeons and PTs and my family, but I mean, it's definitely something to keep in mind that you need to have the, a support network to make it through Absolutely. those. Man, Pam, you are cast iron. I tell you, I think, I think if we were to crack open your, your body, we'd see like one of those Terminator skeletons made out of titanium. You would. Or That's the thing I forgot to mention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cyborg. I'm actually a cyborg sent back from the future. To kill me? To kill Jason Hackney in the year 2021? Oh, God. No, just to destroy all happiness. I knew this would happen. I knew this Well, no, you're, you're cast iron. You're a warrior. This woman is a warrior. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a few stories about you. Um, yeah. Sorry, so, Pam, you've been talking way too long. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear a few stories about me. Yeah. There's a story and you can confirm or deny these stories. One time she's had, she said the craziest thing. We're going to tell this and then we're going to go back in time. But one time she was bitten by a bat that's and had true. to get a series of rabies shots directly into her liver as a yeah. result of climbing. Tell me about that. That's true. You get it in your liver, I believe. Dude, it's so gross. Tell me, like, tell okay. me everything about this fucking yeah, bat. It's disgusting, actually. It's such a gross story. I was climbing I a route it. in Vitavu. It hadn't been repeated. I was doing the second ascent, brilliant Bob Scarpelli route. There were some bats in there. And um, at the time, I didn't really know much, you know, about bats or anything <laughs> like that. You so- see Batman. <laughs> I was like, whatever, I don't know much. So I got into the climb and I'm like, partway into it, I was like, felt this really bad jab in my leg. And I'm like, I must have like jabbed myself with a cam lobe or something. And I, I got off the route and that night I was like having trouble breathing. The, the route was like, I like literally had to crush myself to get into this thing. It was like really compressive on your body. So I couldn't breathe that night. And I was like, God, could I have fractured a lung or like right, broken a, like a lung exploded or a fractured <laughs> rib or something? I'm like, I'm like, I think I need to go to the ER. I'm like, this is really weird, but something's really wrong. Oh my God. So I'm in the ER and they terrify me. It's bolder. They're like, oh, did you know that you could actually rupture your aorta? We, but don't worry, we have a heart surgeon here. I was like, are you, what? But it turned out I hadn't done anything. I mean, I had bruised my ribs. Rub- Don't worry, we have a surgeon. But they were like, was there anything else? Because I just anything unusual. Is there anything else that happened? I was like, I got bit, you know, by a bat. And they were like, what the hell? You got bit by a bat? They're like, That's what you should you. lead with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they lead were like, with we got to give you the rabies vaccines. And I'm like, I don't really want them. I hear they're painful. I'm like, what are the chances of dying? Rabies is like 100% mortality. They're like 100%. <laughs> you will die. The doctor's like, I think one person in all of history has ever survived rabies. And then they do the same thing. They're like, do you have the bat? I'm like, of course I don't have the bat. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, brought him with me. He's I'm in the waiting room. I'm like, don't have him. <laughs> He's in the waiting so room. Like, oh. He's very concerned. <laughs> we, we swapped insurance info. 
They're like, we have to assume you have rabies. I'm like, or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I guess I have to have the injections. And it's, they used to inject you in the stomach. Now they don't, but they're big, big, big injections. You get two in your thighs and you get two in your shoulders and they're huge. And like, when you ask the doctor, is it going to hurt? They're like, yeah, dude, it's going to (laughs) hurt. They're not like, oh, they don't sugarcoat any of that shit. You might feel a pinch. Followed yeah. by a stabbing Miss, pain. Miss Pack, yeah. uh, it's it's going to be agony, and we don't have suckers. So. That's what they do. They're like, it's intramuscular. It hurts. I was like, shit. So they gave me the rabies vaccines. You're like, cool, I'm done. They're like, nah, you got to come in again in seven days, and then 14 days, and then 28 days. Oh. Or something. And in Boulder, it's funny because they send you to the infectious disease center, oh. and they're like, yeah, you just go in, you get shots, ever whatever. It's like a lot. You have to keep getting them in your shoulders every couple, like for a month. And you go into the infectious disease center and you're sitting there in the waiting room, silently surrounded by people. And you're all like looking at each other like, Dude, what do you got? What do you got? I may have rabies. Everyone's like, damn. Yeah, you're like, I think got I've got rabies. Well, I got chlamydia. Really? <laughs> totally. You're just like, you don't want to know. And you move away from each other. You're like, I, oh, I you first suspected it? when I had painful urination. And yep, it's gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Good luck to you. Pam, yeah, good luck to you with the, the rabbit. And Pam's just yeah, sitting there. I don't belong. You totally. This. So it's really awkward. And <laughs> You're foaming at the mouth. I don't belong here. Don't oh belong my God. Well, so yeah, so it's really weird. But yeah, you've so had it all. Injections and then, you know, now I'm like vaccinated. And it was so funny because they're like, well, you should have had the vaccine first. I'm like, why would I possibly have? Who plans for rabies? So you're that saying that need- you're saying that if I often bite you and my teeth break your skin, you're safe. <laughs> exactly. I now I'm okay. Now I can find any, anywhere. <laughs> okay i can climb but in that the was back weird cave. i mean that yeah that was unexpected god that's good well so another thing uh she's had the whole gamut of 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 uh you know body journeys yeah. when you first got into climbing right you were more of a sport climber and I you were was. climbing so much you got well, it was a compartment syndrome in your forearms yeah. yeah this is another strange one too because this is like um a while ago this is pre-super social media times when I started, um, I'd been climbing for a very long time, but when I started, uh, I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I got super obsessed with bouldering. This is like 2007. I bouldered a lot and I, I just trad climbed a lot and I sport climbed a lot. And I, and then I started ice climbing, mixed climbing 30, 40 days a year and every winter. So I was, you know, Going just overtraining and uh, I got to a point where I was like, wow, my forearms are weak because they're pumped all the time. So I trained more and more and more. And then I went to Uri and I was ice climbing one day and I couldn't pry my hands off my ice tools. The pain was like super severe. So I had to go to the ER and they said, yeah, you have something called compartment syndrome, which I had never heard of. And basically it's a crush injury. Um, like if you get your arm gets run over by a truck, that's basically the equivalent oh. of compartment syndrome. That's the acute version. And in the, um, my version of it, which was chronic, I basically overtrained to the point that the muscle sheath was too small for the muscle. So it causes nerve damage. You're too and, jacked. Uh, too jacked. It was in too layman's jacked. terms. And too it's jacked. kind of genetic. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's kind of like say a genetic thing. Some people can put on muscle too quickly and the sheath of the, um, just can't like uh, stretch enough. Accommodate, so yeah. at, at that point, um, 
the pressure was really severe and they said, you know, we're going to have to do surgery on both your arms if the pressure doesn't reduce in the next hour. And so fortunately within the next hour, it, it diminished enough that they didn't have to do the emergency surgery. But at that time, you know, now they have different types of surgery, but that at that time they were going to do something called a, a fasciotomy where they were going to open up my hands from the middle of my hand all the way up my bicep. Um, and then they would open it up and put a loose stitch in it and they keep you in the, in the hospital, um, for a few days and they skin graft it. So it gives you more room in, in four different compartments. Wonder if it makes like an air sound, like a, like a balloon. I kind of wonder like, and I saw pictures of it. It was super disgusting. And I saw like, I don't know, maybe it was four or five surgeons to consult and, four of the surgeons said you are an idiot to do this surgery just because you want to continue climbing you have you know risk for amputation this is going to ruin your life you're going to be disfigured the scarring is horrendous the fifth surgeon is like yeah let's do it i was like yeah let's do right it on. Cool. So that morning, i like, just got my medical license he's like yeah. i've never done Finally, this my is be monster <laughs> i've never know, i've never done this i don't know how it's gonna go I've never, but... that's what it was i've never done this one before Dolly's let's like, we'll be in medical journals this is gonna be awesome let's explore this night, together totally the night before the surgery another surgeon had a, a guy call me who was a construction worker who had had the fasciotomy and the guy called me and he was crying and he's like if you do this surgery you're an idiot this has destroyed my life i am in constant pain oh my god i would go back in time i would never do it again and i can't oh you know i quit i was like okay i'm not doing the surgery and that was the first time in my life that i actually had a fully quit climbing and i did i fully quit i went home i cried for like 48 hours i sold my gear wow. i bought a mountain bike i kept my guidebooks i was like that's it and like that's for, your insurance you know, policy yeah i was like very, i was like oh, i'll just have them so for a couple <laughs> Bad time weeks, reading oh i remember that route oh like i was kind of cool with it but i was in serious denial so i was like god but there's just one more climb i want to do i want to go climb fine jade out in indian oh. creek and if the I was like, if my surgeon doesn't know, how bad could it be? What could I possibly do? You know, yeah, well, and well, so I went out and what could it hurt besides your entire forearm? I, I, yeah, I wanted to do all these other routes and I wanted to do like country club crack and, you know, and Boulder. And so I, I did have a wonderful friend and he's like, I'll help you. But I realized I couldn't even repel. Like I literally couldn't hold a repel device. Oh, and it, you know, so I accepted sad. that I would never do those routes I dreamed of, which was you know, pretty devastating, but, um, yeah. So after a couple of weeks, I was like, this not climbing thing is not working for me. I was flipping through guidebooks obsessively crying all night. Oh, and I saw God. a picture of Craig Lubin on Lucille and Vitavu. And, uh, he was chicken doing chicken wings, which is a style of off with climbing, um, where you're using your, your arm wedging an arm in the crack rather than crimping. And I was like, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. So I went to Vitavu and another a light bulb went off in your yeah, head. Yeah, I was like, I can do this. And off with climbing. Wait, you had not been off with climber up to that moment. Never. I hated this is the transition moment. I mean, who doesn't hate off with climbing? It it sucks. <laughs> so I, I you like, hate it. I hate it. We all hate it. I still hate it off with climbing. I mean, that's a misconception. <laughs> I'm not having fun. The cruel mistress. So, yeah. I, Went to Vitavu and this guy brought me to a, a famous invert off with Boulder. And I was like, this is dumb. I'm like, I start on my back. I'm like, are you kidding? And then he's like, think like you're five years old. What would you do? I was like, oh, I'd lie on my back and I put my feet in there with those bats. 
And so I did. <laughs> I was like, this I've is got what my I'm shots. Do. Totally. So it was really weird. I was like, this is what I was born to do. I knew it within minutes. I'm like, I'm, I'm devoting my life to this. I'm like, I don't know why, but you know, for whatever reasons, that injury, if I hadn't had that injury, I never mm-hmm. would have started off with. And I was like, this is absolutely what I'm born to do. And um, it was kismet. I, it was meant to be. It was. It was fate. And, and I um, went back. Compartment syndrome was your destiny. It was my destiny. I was working, um, doing software design at the time um, at University of Colorado. I was uh, doing travel management planning. I was doing open source um, design um, of uh, different kind of GIS uh, software to evaluate the scenarios for different travel management plans. So I had a flexible schedule because we were uh, modifying, we were using an open source GIS and we were modifying the code to do what we needed it to do. I had a very flexible Damn, schedule. Damn, and you can't use an iPhone? My God, listen to you. But I can't use an iPhone. I <laughs> she could build iPhone. you one, but after that. <laughs> I could, yeah, I could like, maybe program the code. You just spoke archaic <laughs> Greek to me. With everything you just buttons, said. Though. So then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll work and then I'll go to Vitavu. And then I was like, and then I'll go to Vitavu and I'll work maybe an hour. And then I'll go to Vitavu uh, and I won't go to work at all. That's a lie. Yeah. Better yet, I think I'll just off with Klein for the next 15 years. <laughs> and then I'll just off with Klein. In, into infinity. So you know, I'm going to ask you to flex your brain here for a second because it's it's a it's a big, beautiful, muscular brain. Very uh, you, tell us. So you went to Yale. Holy shit. One. Yeah, I went to Yale. But tell us what you studied and then what your actual by trade profession is, because it's yeah. wild. So that was really weird. So, again, I worked really hard. I wanted to go to Yale. You know, I was 15. I didn't I come from this little tiny town like, you know, Yale. It's like, wow. Um, but I wanted to go really badly. So, um I went on a, an art and a, a writing scholarship, actually. So I had scholarships to go and I worked as a Look waitress. I sucked at it. I was such a bad waitress. Too ADHD, I, I assume. I was so bad. The, the head of the restaurant took me aside and she's like, Pam, I don't know. This career might not be for you. Aww. And I was like, I know. I can't remember anything. Aww, <laughs> so sweet. It's sad I in a way. Bakery, but I got fat, so I couldn't do that. So then I, <laughs> I finally, you know, I go to Yale and I'm... Uh, I was there uh, on a scholarship as an artist um, mm. and as a writer, um, but then I ended up studying art and architecture, and uh, I wanted, my focus was uh, pre-Columbian art and architecture. I oh. wanted to work in Central and South America, um, doing, uh, working on Maya sites. And well, uh, Indiana that, Jones shit, man. It was, that's what I ended up doing, and I ended up switching over um, for another crazy story, absolutely bizarre, but um, studying world religion um, because <laughs> I, I was more interested in, uh, I'll have to tell you that. That's, I'll give you a quick version of that story. Give it to me. Time. You can like keep it in or take it out. It's weird. But, I um, want it. So, yeah, I ended up studying pre-Columbian art and architecture. Um, and then uh, I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to be more of an more of an archaeologist. I ended up moving to Guatemala and working um, on an archaeological dig in, in Guatemala oh, and then traveling so cool. quite a bit in Nicaragua and El Salvador and Guatemala. And uh, I was still painting. Um, I had scholarships to um, various um, artist colonies where I worked, uh, you know, where I painted and I. Um, I did kind of work trade. So I, I lived at these in these artist communities in exchange for working there. Um, and that gave me the opportunity to paint 
uh, full time. And that was my big passion. I, Love you know, that. I did climb, I did, you know, I was climbing, but my real dream was to be an artist. I wanted to be a painter and, uh, I loved it, you know, it, as much as climbing. Um, and so I, at Yale, that, that was my focus was the painting. And then when I moved to, after I graduated, I moved to Guatemala, um, and to Belize and I worked there uh, on and off. And uh, I just, I got really sick and oh, no. so it was hard for me to be there. I got typhoid fever. And oh I, my God, really <laughs> typhoid fever. Yeah, it was really rough. And then I, you know, I- You tried I malaria also, on for size yet? Jeez. I, I had, I, no, I skipped that one. But then typhoid it, it, fever. Was, it was a really hard time in my life because as much as I loved being down there and I loved the work down there, um, you know, it, again, it was a little bit different time than now. Guatemala had- uh, the political situation in Guatemala had Oof. been particularly horrendous during, especially during the eighties. So I was yeah. there, you know, during a time past a time when things were still politically um, really heartbreaking. Um, so it oh, was man. a really a hard time for me. I lived in, in some of the communities uh, and um, the women there, especially their husbands had been, murdered in front of them and it had been recent there there had been uh the culture there had been just decimated by oh my god so it was hard for me to be there um and it it affected my experience as an artist i uh i wanted to continue painting but when i came back the more i came back from guatemala back to the artist colony i worked at the harder it was for me to continue painting and i'm not sure why it just became harder and harder for me to go back and forth. Um, so uh, I did start painting less. Um, but again, I did work in an art gallery. I wow. painted um, and I did continue climbing. What was your medium? Um, what, what did you like to paint? Oil paint. And I did out uh, landscape painting. I painted outdoors and I painted giant canvases. So they were huh. not like, um, I would say eight, eight by 12 foot canvases. No way. So my painting was very physical and that I wanted to work out, you know, so it was the combination. <laughs> Even in painting, you want to get your pump. Of the painting. And uh, then I, I did move to Seattle briefly um, and oh, I had a studio there. I painted there. I lived with a great guy. Um, he was a brilliant artist as well and also a climber. And uh, we started climbing together a lot more. I got more obsessed with the climbing, but I, I climbed at Smith Rock. I was a sport climber. Nice. Uh, um, Oregon, so, yeah. yeah, it was like, so we started, you know, climbing a lot more. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a pretty crazy time. But so I wanted to go back to graduate school because I was more interested after the time in Guatemala and with my painting in um, uh, remote sensing technology. Um, I had worked with it when I was in Guatemala. Um, we had used a lot of satellite imagery and aerial imagery to do interpretation of the overall site design of Maya sites. And I got That's more so interested cool. in, yeah, so it was cool. I got more interested in the remote sensing technology. That's like sensing when, uh, like the pyramids underneath the earth, Exactly. Right? And it was so cool. It's there's like, so many that still have yet to be excavated because there's not the funding. Yeah. Oh, so there's different types of remote sensing technology. World's away. Oh. So fascinating. So I decided to go back to graduate school in cartography and remote sensing technologies. 
and I went to graduate school, I finally ended up doing a, a professional certification in GIS and remote sensing technology. So cool. And my emphasis was aerial and imagery interpretation, satellite imagery interpretation. Um, but then skipping over a little time, I moved to Alaska and uh, I wanted to you know, work doing work with GIS and remote sensing. Um, and I, I got a job uh, at a company there using remote sensing technology, but I was doing seafloor um, uh, mapping. So, yeah, so, you, 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 you map the seafloor. Like yeah. You're an underwater cartographer. Exactly. You like so live at actually, sea on a boat. And when I applied for the job, I was like, they were like, how are you at sea? You know, are you OK on boats? And I was like, sure. Great sea legs. Great sea never, legs. <laughs> Never been. You're like a fucking sea. sailor, man. <laughs> You're this landlocked girl from a little town in Montana. You know? I was like, how bad can you up be? On boats. <laughs> <laughs> I love the water. I've been on canoe, you know. I had a creek out way. back. You know? <laughs> Holy so, shit. Yeah, how like, are oh, your sea legs? How'd that go? And meanwhile, I had never done any sonar remote sensing, but it's the the same ideas that we use. The same. God, I want to put you on a submarine and see what you do. I want to like. Oh, there's no way I could ever be on a submarine. No way. (laughs) So then, yeah, I went. Um, they sent me out. My first, like, my first job was doing. Um, we were looking for some kind of a splice box, I think, in the port of Anchorage. And you're like, Port of Anchorage, that sounds cool. October, the Port of Anchorage, the seas are rough. It's really cold. It's really dark. That's kind of stuff. Uh Yeah, I was like, I've never done this before, but how bad can it be? I'm a climber. (laughs) I climb off with. (laughs) There can't be anything as hard (laughs) as I do. (laughs) So yeah, I get out there and I talked to, you know, before they had given me some medication in case I got seasick on the off chance dude i was puking like for 12 straight hours i was like scared i mean i'm like okay this is a whole new thing like we're you know climbing whatever the objective hazard level working at sea is so far and away beyond anything (laughs) i'd ever experienced you know, when you're climbing, you're like, okay, this is the rock type. This is the rock quality. And, and the rope will catch it. you if you fall, all sorts of stuff. I've got a belay, you know, I'm wearing a harness. When you're working at sea, like the 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 ocean is unpredictable. There are such things as rogue waves. You see it in movies. You're like, ha that's so funny. Yeah, Poseidon hey. Adventure. Yeah, sure. No, it's real. And the weather is bad and it's cold and you're vomiting and you're hyperventilating and you're like, you're like <laughs> super dehydrated and... And they were like, Pamela, you're the rock climber. We've got something. We need you to climb up this 12 foot, you know, mass. We need you to cut off something. I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, we were towing a particular type of star. It's called a tow fish. It got caught on something. We had to cut it off or it was going to literally sink the boat, you know, and then <laughs> wow. there was ice coming in and they were like, don't worry. The icebreaker can come get us if we get caught in the ice. If we get stranded, totally. And I'm like visualizing Arctic adventures. Like oh, I'm visualizing so like you're, Shackleton. And, yeah. Endurance and, here. Yeah, and you're, and, you're not with climber and suddenly you're in endurance. And yeah, totally. I'm like, we're going to be caught in sea ice for two years and we're going to end up with dogs and we're gonna have to eat them to survive that's like what i see uh, <laughs> probably each other probably eat each other, <laughs> we're oh, gonna yeah. be eat each other before the dogs it'll be like a lot i was like yeah. i'd rather be off with climbing 
but so yeah that's, <laughs> I'd ra- that's a big bumper sticker but i'd rather be off a of huge them. bumper sticker. totally i'm like yeah. i come back and i'm like no it's cool i'm okay i'm i'd okay. rather have compartment <laughs> syndrome i'm like totally i was like this is horrifying and i'm like but i love it and so then you know it made like you who you are like i'm working in alaska it's dark all the time i'm working at sea you know, and then they're like, oh, yeah, and there's this great lottery. There's moose that get hit on the highway every day, but it's cool. We can sign up for the lottery. If one gets hit, we can go over. We can pick it up. We bring it to the tax, you know, whatever. Oh, hell we yeah. chop it up. And we have moose. Get moose like, meat. Wow, Nice. Really different lifestyle than I led at grad school and <laughs> in Yale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moose meat like, score. Go, go, go. And then they're like, let's go to the shooting range at lunch break. I'm like, this is a really different, you know, lifestyle for me. But it was great. We worked really hard. I ended up um, you know, so when people now I, I hear a lot, well, I'd be as good a climber as you as if I had a trust fund. I'm like, yeah, you know, try go work in the Bering Sea. I started working there three to four months a year. I'd work, you know. 72 to 90 consecutive days at sea in the roughest, you know, seas in the world. We did 12 to 16 hour days consecutively. At one point I worked minimum of 12 hours a day for 72 consecutive days on a boat in the Aleutian islands. And, um, Holy shit. Were you the only woman? There were, there were a few women. Uh, in fact, our lead hydrographer was a woman. She was extraordinary. And one of our boat captains was a woman. And uh, so it, it was really a different lifestyle for me. And um, I loved it. And, you know, just, I wanted to stay in shape to climb. So when people are like, oh, you're in better shape because you're a pro climber. I'm like, okay, imagine this. Imagine being on a 176 foot research vessel in the Aleutian Islands in incredibly okay. there. you know rough conditions you're sending 25 me there. Foot seas, and i would bring a trx with me and i would <laughs> set and rock rings and i'd set them up in you know somewhere in the um in the vessel and nice i would train shit. they would give me an hour off during lunch and most people would work straight through for 12 hours we would take 15 minute breaks and often we would have buckets next to us because you'd be puking so you'd be puking in the bucket working um, we took, we took do, turns, do some like, TRX rolls, <laughs> do some TRX so chest like, presses. Puke. Totally. So it would be puking, oh, and I'd get my hour. They would make me work out because otherwise it was a pain in the ass. And I would go, you know, I'd spend that hour. I'd run around training, and the way I did it was I would go up to the buoys on the upper deck or the zodiac, and I would do ab crunches on the zodiac. I would do pull ups in the doorways. And I would do, I would go to the lower decks where I could do rock rings and I, the, they set them up for me. And, you know, if I timed it right with the way the boat was rocking or whatever, mm. I could do like zero gravity, like pull-ups. <laughs> so like my pull-ups, I'd be like, these are easy. You know, I can rep these out. 25, 26, 27. Totally. I just and need one more like rogue stair climber, And I would train on the stair climber. And again, you have to remember we're training, like go try to train one day with the entire like ground under you moving, we were training in like, you know, big seas, like the, it's rocking the whole time. I'm puking a lot. And, um, and also it's a 176 foot vessel. It's not like, it's not easy to do cardio for three months. So I'd be there, um, whatever, 72, 90 days. And I'd come back um, to Montana to train again, but I'd save all the money I needed for the year. And I'd come back and I'd recovering from work at sea is hard. It takes 
it's not like two days and you're like, oh, I feel great. It's a couple months. Oh my you don't God. Sleep very well at sea. And I would have to start from ground zero on my training. So I would have, I'd make enough money. I'd hire a trainer. I'd nice. have physical therapists. Hell and yeah. I would do everything I could to train to get back. Just to so time. dedicated. Let me ask you, um, would you, would you actually I'm, work out on yeah. non-moving floors? Like you, you'd go to a gym and the floor would stay put. I, it was weird. You're like, I was flo- like you're like throwing moving. up because you're not I'm moving. Like, I don't get this. I'm, I'm not. Like, why is that I'm woman on the bench puking, press but... over there moving so much? <laughs> you're weaving around at a standstill. You're throwing up because there's yeah, no movement. So like, I don't feel so weird, good. You know? She brings a bucket with her. I was the like, the floor is stable. <laughs> What's the bucket for, man? So yeah, then I would um, I'd climb for like October, November, December. Um, and then I would go back to Alaska for two months during the winter. Um, the You're day like a I migratory climb, animal. <laughs> I'd migrate. I'd go everywhere. It was really cold and miserable. So then I'm like, I'm going back to Alaska at the worst time of year. And um, we would do the same thing, usually like eight, 12 hour days. And we would process the data that we collected. Um, and I would still try to train again. It was really hard. And um, we would go to the shooting range a lot. That's not really training, but it was your, your crack and, shot too. While you're at it. <laughs> My God. And then I would come back. I, you know, I'd make enough money that I could then climb. I'd come back, I'd train, um, and I'd climb and an animal. And then I would go back and do the whole thing, same thing again. I didn't always work in the Aleutian Islands. Part of the year, you know, sometimes I worked in the Aleutians, other times I worked in Bristol Bay. Um, I did different types of surveying. Um, so sometimes it was mapping the seafloor for uh, you know, mainly it was transportation hazard studies. Um, and a lot of it, they would, they would leave me on tiny islands, uh, with the survey <laughs> equipment I needed to do tide surveys. Here's your rations. We'll be back in a week. Totally. Rations. They'd be like, see you in hell. We'll come back if you can. You're like, what? If, yeah. What do you mean? If you can, and it was cool because like we, you know, I would commute by float plane. So they would bring me, um, they would drop me off. We would land in sloughs. And as you were coming into the slough, we would jump out of the sides of the float plane, turn the plane around because if, as soon as the tide changed, they can't get back out. We would throw all of our shit out of the plane. They'd hand me my survey equipment. I'd be with one other person. They'd be like, we need to survey this river and then we need to do a tide survey and then we'll come get you. And then you have to do like a half mile slog through the ocean at the lowest tide through mud flats. Oh. Get back to the plane. Wow. And then you get back on the float plane I remember like one of the first days I was going back on the float plane and the pilot turns around. He's this big, like seven foot tall German dude. And he's like, this ain't no day for a joyride. I was like, oh <laughs> shit. He's like, just hold on. We endo the plane sometimes in these conditions. I'm what? Like, and so over like, end? I, was like, I was just like, oh, please let me survive this flight. I just want to live. Endo the plane, like in biking, like over the yeah, handlebars. Like oh my endo God. Sometimes in those mud flats and, you know, and then a lot of the time we'd have a job we would want to get done and it'd be like 40 knot winds. And they're like, it's going to be a really scary landing, you know, just hold on. And, so it was a really hard lifestyle and God. I did it because I wanted to climb, but I sacrificed a lot. It's not like you can date when you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to be gone six months of the year at sea. And then <laughs> What's I'm your Saturday it. next March? <laughs> and, and you're removed from your friends and family. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but imagine just one day saying, hey, I'm going to be gone for, you know, four months. I'm going to be on a boat in, in an inaccessible place. If anything oh happens to you, I can't come back and help you. If anything happens to me, I'm stuck in the freaking. And you can't help me. 
Well, yeah, it's, like, it's so, March and you seem like a really cute guy. How does October 12th sound? Exactly. Yeah. You're like, hey, <laughs> yeah, you got it. Actually, so, I think I'm busy then. But how about October 13th? How about I so, yeah, it was like and I worked hard. I worked really hard because I wanted to climb. That's why you are so that's why you're so it seems like I mean, you're, you're talking about things that just uh, you have to be a dedicated, passionate person and really intense and yeah you gotta be obsessed yes you mean you gotta be obsessed and and now uh you know looking back i'm like wow i mean i loved climbing that much that i was willing to sacrifice you know everything between work and climbing that was all i did and the other the the thing about it now that's hard is the amount of adrenaline you're like how bad can it be but like the constant fear when you're working at sea it's scary there's wow. a lot of constant fear but there's also kind of an acceptance that things can go wrong and the sea is really unforgiving you know when you're climbing at the end of the day you're like i'm a badass but you come home and you take a shower and you eat well and you watch movies you watch netflix but when you're working at sea you're like okay it never ends never ends. And when you're out at sea that long, it really affects you mentally and it affects you physically. It's a lot more damaging than you would think. Um, so when I was doing those long stints, it got to a point that what I would do is I would work for 12 hours and then I would sleep for 12 and I would work 12, sleep 12, work 12, sleep 12, because I felt like if I slept more, that it was closer to being done. Like your mentality, like oh, the psychological right. component of it is odd. Like, how do you stand it? You know, how do you say, like, I'm not gonna climb for 72 days. And you're like, oh, 72 yeah. days. It's like, it, it was hard, but I loved it. And I, I miss it a lot, that mentality. When I look back now, um, no regrets. Is, is really nothing compared to that. And so okay. when people, you know, people now are like, oh, if I had a trust fund, I'd climb like you. I'm like, yeah, I mean, listen, you got to work for the shit to the nail. But you talked about you talked about, you know, that you sacrificed a lot. Are, yeah. are there any regrets? Um, sometimes um, I think my biggest regret now looking back, which is odd about working at sea, is that I think if I could make the choice between staying, continuing to work at sea versus climbing, I might actually have stayed in Alaska rather than come back. I think that um, ultimately the work at sea was in a lot of ways more satisfying than climbing. I, I do love climbing. So don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's <gasps> love of my life, you know, but the climbing ultimately does feel a lot more self-centered um, mm. than the work at sea. And uh, which actually is, is something now that is very important to me. It wasn't as much, I don't, I don't think is, you know, when you're like in your twenties or thirties, it's as important, but at this point in my climbing career, what has become more important to me is teaching and mentoring. And Passing so I've on. started a, a series of clinics called the art of off with clinics. And it's become incredibly meaningful to me. I, to be able to share um, what I've learned as a climber. And um, I co-teach um, with Giselle Fares, who is a Brazilian climber. My mom's from Brazil, so it's kind of cool. Giselle is fully Brazilian. She's a brilliant climber, and uh, we're, we're doing these clinics together now, and uh, we both believe in mentoring. And I've mentored Giselle as an off-width climber. Um, so it's been really important to me to see women become strong off with climbers. Yes. Um, I think there's some misconception about that when people are like, she wants to be the only off with climber. There's like, 
thousands of off-width climbers, thousands, there's hundreds of strong female off-width climbers now. When I started, there weren't. There were a few that people don't know about, but um, I was really the most um, focused on it. And now, as in any sport, there's an evolution that I think any true athlete wants to see. We can take the sport a certain, you know, certain direction. I could um, pave the road for other women to become strong off with climbers. And I wanted that because my whole life I'd been trying to prove that women could do what men could do from mm -hmm. going to Yale, which is, you know, was at the time more of a boys school right. to working in the Bering Sea, which is, the, you know, a male has been male dominated. I've always been like, look, um, I also helped with a dog sled guiding service with my brother. I'm like, right. women can do anything that you men could stand toe to toe. Yeah, we can do this. And I'm little, you know, I'm tiny. So it was like people often will look at me and go, but you're tiny and you're this. So I wanted to prove that's been very important to me uh, that, that women were as capable as scientists, as hydrographers, as, you know, boat captains, as, as whatever. And so in the, blank. Um, the progression of the sport now, I know I could pave the way. I was like, I, I was the first woman to climb 513 off with. I was the first to establish 13. And my hope now is that um, women become stronger. We have better training now. We have more support for off with climbers. We have more support for climbers. I was at a point, you know, I started when there really weren't professional climbers. It wasn't a profession. It was like a, a weird fringe sport. Mm -hmm. And and off with is even more fringe. Yeah. You know, and, fringe and on fringe. To, when I first approached sponsors, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I put up this first 513, like women 513 off with. And they're like, like what do you do? dumb they're like it's so stupid and i wanted to prove that off with was an art style that off with was beautiful that off with was technical that was important to me and now i see you know the techniques are becoming refined the training has become refined um people are getting stronger and stronger and what we're doing now is incredible what will be happening in 10 years will be uh, also incredible who knows in 20 or 25 years, maybe there will be 515 off with, maybe who knows, we don't know, but that's what I wanna see. I, I wanna see that progress. And I think anyone who is a lifelong climber wants to see that progress. It's, in, it's amazing. That's why we do what we do. Um, you know, that's why people explored the Arctic so that people in the future could discover more things where we, found places on the map that didn't exist and now they exist and and that that enables progress in the future which i love to see so mentoring climbers has become really meaningful to me and um g has been it, it's been a dream because to find another woman who loves off with like i do and who um loves climbing like I do and to watch her progress has been amazing so we do have these art of off with clinics now and we, uh, part of the clinic, of course, is to teach technical skills. We want people to become stronger climbers, technically, off with is a steep learning curve. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we want people to become amazing climbers, but we also really want people to be able to apply what they learn as off with climbers to life. About empowerment. A lot of what I learned as an off-width climber, um, struggling with injuries, pain tolerance, um, perseverance, willpower, that's what got me through working at sea and vice versa um, and through a lot of aspects of my life. And 
Um, that's part of what we want in our clinics is for people to learn something that maybe they'll never want to climb another off with, but someday they'll be experiencing something that's hard and they'll say, you know, there was this route I didn't think I could yeah. do and I got to the anchor. And so if I could do that, I can do this. Your, yeah. your words will rise within them and they'll push through. Yeah, it, it it's like we like to say what we want is to teach people to bring grace to the grovel, you know, to find to bring grace graceful... to the grovel. You just named the title of this episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. It'll say Pamela Shawnee pack. Great. Bring grace to the bringing grace to the grovel. That's the or title. Grace so that's the... what we want. And then grace to the know, grovel. Bring the it. other thing I'm doing now, again, it's like sort of an evolution of the teaching is that I want to, um, I'm starting to teach clinics for adaptive athletes. Um, oh, I love first... that. So my first was this summer, I worked with athletes with um, various challenges from uh, two of them were blind. Uh, one oh has some, a neurological disorder that makes it difficult for her to walk. Um, oh and again, uh, what I love about working with them is that it, it opens my eyes to a whole new world and a whole new way of um, approaching um, technique because these things are very familiar with me. So it's very exciting for me to be presented with a different type of physical and psychological challenge. And um, I think, uh, sorry, Jason, it's going on forever. No, um, I love this. I love this. But there's a, another component to that, which was a very pivotal moment, pivotal, <laughs> very off with you term, in, in <laughs> pivot, pivot. that I haven't shared publicly. Um, and that oh, yeah. was that a number of years ago, I was dating a wonderful man, um, Isaac Savitz. I'm sure he'd be okay if his name is on here. Um, and Isaac and I were together. Um, we were dating and a really wonderful, extraordinary guy. And we broke up. And uh, the day we broke up, I went climbing. I, I went to, I don't remember, I was bouldering. And, and I got a phone call. And it, you know, it was pretty much the kind of phone call you really dread getting. And they're like, Isaac's in the hospital. Um, it's really bad. He had a bad injury. He was skydiving and uh, we need you here. And, oh and I God. didn't know, you know, I didn't know how bad, but I knew it was really bad. And, you know, so I go to the hospital and he had um, basically severed his spinal cord. 10% oh uh, was intact. 90% uh, had been severed. And they were like, okay, it's going to be a 14 hour surgery. Um, because he's stubborn. They were like, well, what they wanted to do was just um, a, a surgery that would give him no chance of ever walking again, but he would be safer. He chose, of course, Isaac to do a 14 hour procedure. They would pulverize part of his lungs. They would, they would build, I mean, not his lungs, obviously his, his ribs. Yeah. Um, they would take a metal cage. They would build it around his spinal cord. It would protect the 10% that was intact which would give him the old, very slim possibility of walking again, because at this point he was uh, paraplegic. There was still an outside chance though. There was an outside chance, very slim. They said, you know, in some cases people can relearn to use that 10% um, to walk again. Oh my God. Um, so obviously this was, you know, clearly a more traumatizing event for Isaac. Isaac was the one going through it, but for me, it was probably the first, uh, a really severe trauma I'd experienced in my life. And, um, you know, there was also the certain component that like, what if we hadn't broken up that day? I mean, that was weighed on me, obviously. And I, and I really loved Isaac. So 
I left graduate school um, to spend most of the summer with him in Craig Hospital in Denver, which is a, a place where they do spinal cord and head injury um, rehabilitation. And I knew nothing, you know, about spinal cord injuries and uh, nothing. I don't think any, you know, it's much, much like your knowledge, knowledge of bats in the beginning. It, much like my knowledge of bats, I knew very little about it. And you learn as you go, crash course. Exactly. It was really intense. And there's a lot more to it, obviously, than, you know, just, wow, you're in a wheelchair. It's uh, the health implications are tremendous. When, when he was first there, you know, when he was in the hospital, obviously, there's a lot more complications. Um, you know, there's a lot of health issues. And then because he was my boyfriend, it was experiencing the trauma, you know, with him of, of this young, incredibly athletic guy, uh, the first guy I'd climbed to Vitebu with, in fact, um, going from being one of the most extraordinary athletes I'd ever met to, um, you know, being in a wheelchair. And, it's just a tragedy. I... And, ex you know, experiencing it. So what him. happened? What happened? Well, he's an incredible story. Isaac's the most stubborn badass person I've ever met in my life and really my hero he in that next year was able to um re teach himself to uh walk he did um, walk it one worked. of his legs he still can't feel anything he uses arm braces but thank god he, he can walk he can walk he can use that one leg um and uh, oh my god holy shit he, but it was amazing you know i was with him the first time he moved his toe and like we were in a movie theater and he's like oh my god pamela i moved my toe you know so it was experiencing that with him was really changed my life dramatically and uh, i don't know if i ever really dealt with the trauma of that i don't think i did i think i uh, really was like, okay, I'm, we went through this together. We stayed together for a long time. And um, it's, there's a lot of statistics, but usually after something like that, couples don't stay together. Really, Not because I didn't, obviously I, I love him still to this day, but because often um, the person in that situation, their life has changed very dramatically and they are recreating themselves. They're, you know, it, it's not the same life they had. They are becoming a new person. And um, so, but we are still close and, uh, he was able to, um, you know, to recover from oh that. He, he and I have a great story about that. Sorry. This has just reminded me of a that. funny story, but so Isaac and I were no, we're no longer together, but we were still friends. And I was in Vitavu climbing with someone. I had a weird fall and I damaged a kidney. Um, <laughs> she I says offhandedly. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> just before or after the rabies bat. Was yeah. a weird oh, thing, uh, you know. Whatever. So I go to the hospital. You know? got to. I, at first, I call Isaac, and I'm like, uh, or how did it work? I can't remember. I'm like, I have to go stay with Isaac. I'm like, I'm really sick. Something's really wrong with me. So I go there. I call the hospital and the, the ER, the guy in the ER is like, well, this is going to be sound crazy. He's like, but your friend Isaac Savitz is here too. I'm like, wait, what, what did Isaac do? And they're like, Isaac fell dirt biking. He had modified his dirt bike. Um, and he's like, so Isaac is having surgery also. So, so Isaac and I were both nice. in the ER the same night. And then we both recovered together. Still going for it. So two. I spent two weeks at his house recovering. He's recovering from surgery. I'm recovering from surgery. <laughs> two ironclad. Together you were a whole person. So yeah. Two so ironclad athletes. I, I hear this. 
I hear this and I, I just think to myself, take nothing for granted. Nothing. Exactly. So take nothing for granted. And that, that experience was very hard for me. And obviously I, you know, I don't, it, it was so much harder for Isaac clearly, but it, it was a very life changing for me and very painful. And, um, I don't think I really ever realized how much trauma that caused me. And I, um, you know, I think I'm still dealing with that and it's been years, um, since that happened. Uh, and it's only recently that I realized that I think maybe my next more important calling to me than off with is, uh, working with athletes who have additional challenges. I love that. Um, It's beautiful. And and I haven't been so excited about anything since the first day I climbed upside down and I'm really excited. That's beautiful. I've just got a few more, I just got a few more questions for you. Uh, your name, uh, Shanti means peace in Hindi. Yes. And are your, are your parents hippies? Where did this come from? From a small little no, town? No, my parents aren't really hippies. But, you know, my mom moved to the United States. Um, she lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She moved to the States in college. Um, and she met my dad, who was her professor. It was very scandalous. Ooh, I like, I love a good scandal. So, yeah, that, uh, yeah. Who named you that? Who named you that? Well, I, you know, I don't even know how that even happened. I, I guess I should talk to them. Someday. I love that. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Where's your dad from? What's his story? He's a, like a New Yorker, you know, he's, he's like a, he wanted to be a professional baseball player Aww. and uh, grew up in the Bronx and, nice. uh, his father died very young um, when he was a real, when he was a teenager. So he had a tough time, you know, growing up. Um, sure. He uh, wanted to be, like I said, a, a pro baseball player, but uh, oh, because he couldn't qualify as a pro baseball player, he, believe it or not, became a, a poet. And he's he's very famous. <laughs> he's published many many books, and I think you know that's part of the reason that I've been able to do what I've done is you know he followed a dream that's a pretty unusual one you know mm-hmm. you tell your parents oh, I want to be a poet that's kind of uh, you know out there um, he's been very successful he's also taught um, wow, I think it's forty or fifty years now wow. um, and uh, are they still up in Montana yeah. And you so, too are this amalgamation of artists and athlete. Yeah. So you love know, that. I you still, got that from him yeah. and you're, you're finding peace. I mean, you're coming to peace. I hope with so. All sorts of I stuff. Mean, I feel like the world like your keeps name. throwing a lot of big challenges at me. Um, but I know, think you're up to the task. Something but, tells yeah, me. Yeah. And I think my perspective, especially this winter has changed for the positive more than ever before that I keep getting, you know, hit with these big challenges, but mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the plus with all of these challenges, no matter how hard they are, whether it's um, an injury or whether it's your boyfriend being paralyzed in an accident or, um, you know, it, big social media challenges that yeah. it gives you the opportunity to reevaluate your life, to reevaluate what's important to you um, and to recreate yourself uh, in a better, stronger, more positive way puts your life in perspective. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, right now there's a lot of things that I'm putting together at the same time, Mm -hmm. as far as, like I said, injuries and losses and, and that sort of thing. But, um, ultimately, uh, 
definitely more at peace now, probably than, than like your middle name, Pamela, you are, you are an <laughs> ironclad, strong, beautiful, persevering, vibrant and resilient woman. Well, thank you. Jesus. I feel and the that, same. Way and that's on opinion. It's just a fact. And uh, I mean, you are also a huge inspiration to me. I know, and I'm sure your audience does not know that you have gone through some pretty tremendous struggles yourself. Oh um, boy. And well, you, you always inspire me. And oh, uh, oh. I think of you and I miss you. Oh, honey. And I can't wait to get you, back on the dragon's lair with you. The dragon's lair. <laughs> luckily, luckily, this interview is about you and not me, but oh my God. Yeah. You're, you're dragon slayer. That's how I have you on my phone. Pamela Pastrana's back. Dragon slayer. This, this woman, she slays fucking dragons. One last thing. This is your last question. What do you want to uh, tell the climbing community at large? What do you want? Uh, what message do you want to get out there? What, what's your I one think maybe statement? Just exactly what I was, you know, that from my experience, everything I've gone through in my life to take um, these challenges or what seems to be horrendous experiences, whether it's injury or a bad breakup or losing your parents or, you know, some horrible social media scandal that um, to try, like I said, to find grace in, in the, the grovel to try to <laughs> find the positives and yeah. to um, be more supportive of each other, you know, especially with uh, the way the world is today uh, with pandemics and, and political uh, challenges uh, that it, we need to be more supportive of each other and uh, to find more of the positives and, and more joy where we can. I think that would be my, nice. and then of course to climb off with little aside, but, you know, yeah, you know, um, enjoy. I got, you know, I got love something to climb while you can. I got something you know. to, uh, to tell you that might shock you, but uh, I think oh, you're I incredible. Wait. I think you're incredible. I think uh, you're incredible. <laughs> I said I said it first. I adore you. I said it first. <laughs> I adore you. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time with my little humble podcast, Johnny and I. Well, thank you guys you're amazing. so yeah, thank much. You. And I, you know, that sorry that went on a lot longer. No, it's what we want. Great. No, no, no. You're but, fine. Um, it I am so thankful to have chatted with you guys. Absolutely. And yeah. Thank you. Oh, you said some amazing things. So it's so nice to meet you. We're going to so go nice find you. We're going to go when, when, when this ends, I'm going to go try to find some grace and some gravel because there's always some gravel to be found out there. So I'm going to find some grace in the gravel today too. And I'm going to drink some coffee. Yeah. Is that code for a second cup of coffee? That's yeah. code for, I need some espresso. You after the Bering Sea, <laughs> you deserve it. All right, my dear, I adore you. And we will but talk. I adore you too. Soon. And I'll talk to you soon. And you better come climb with me. We have some chimneys to climb. I'm scared of you. So I won't say no. <laughs> <laughs> Terrified. All right, Thank girl. Thank you, guys. All right. Peace All right. out, girl. Later. Bye. Later. Bye. <laughs>